Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 62 of Solu Saturday. The guest we have today, Nilab Pant. He is a senior data scientist at Walmart Technology DFW. He has a diverse skill set in computer science, data engineering, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and data science. He has worked in various business domains like oil and gas, home improvements, geospatial technology, and retail using time series analytics, forecasting techniques, and other state-of-art machine learning and AI methodologies. At Walmart Technology, Nilav is focused on scaling the capabilities and impact of data science in a rapid growth retail environment and working towards digital transformation at Walmart. Nilav graduated with PhD in computer science focused in spatial data analysis using machine learning and artificial intelligence, as well as has a Masters in Computer Science from the University of Texas at Arlington. So let's just welcome him and hear more about his career journey. How did he find his area of interest and managing to lead that? So welcome, Nila. Very happy to have you on the show and really appreciate all your time and consideration being on the show. Absolutely, Vishali. Thank you so much for having me in the show. Thank you so much. And uh, moving towards our question segment, actually, the first section that we have is about passion and interest. So how did you find your passion in the data science field and what steps did you take to pursue this passion? Or I would just rephrase it like, you know, what motivates you to be in this field? Awesome. Yeah, so uh, talking about passion and data science, uh, there are like a lot of points that I can actually talk about and I can go for days to talk about just on this topic. Um, but yes, uh, there are like a couple of things uh, that really excites me to be a part of data science and to be a data scientist, uh, from, uh, you know, in, uh, in my general life. Uh, so first of all, data science just makes me uh, very powerful for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the things uh, that I really truly believe in is that uh, the passion to achieve the discoveries, the insights, and even the innovation that is happening every day within machine learning and data science realm is just mind blowing, right? Uh, with with any any data set, as long as the data set is rich in quality, right? Uh, you actually can make very wise decision based on uh, you know what the data is speaking to you, and uh, since it's it's evolving every day so rapidly, right? So there's no point of getting even bored, you know, just being in data science for so long, because now I know that my machine learning models are getting evolved, you know, every day as, as, it, as it comes. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, if I'm working on a specific model in time series, like if I'm mm -hmm. forecasting any, anything using a specific state of the art model, next thing you know, probably like in a month or two, uh, you have a new technology just to, uh, you know, to take care of that, that the same thing, you know, probably in much more optimized fashion. Uh, so yeah, th that just gives me a uh, pleasure of realizing that my work is getting evolved, you know, every day, uh, you know, with data science. And it's just, um, you know, I would, uh, uh, data science just helps, you know, everybody to make wiser decisions. Right. It's not here to replace humans, right? It's actually here uh, to work, you know, in, in synchrony with humans, uh, you know, getting the data, uh, analyzing the, you know, the big and huge data that you have, mm -hmm. uh, just helps all of us to make wiser and optimized decisions. So those are the kind of things that really excites me and I'm looking forward to the future of data science, for sure. Yeah. Sounds good and thank you so much for sharing. Moving towards our next section is about questions from the audience where I shortlisted a couple of questions for you. So the first question under that segment is, what are the best models in machine learning to perform geospatial analysis, especially poverty mapping? Okay, 
So um, if we just talk about, so poverty mapping is one of the things that you can do in GIS, right? Uh, helps you in so many different ways to understand how the, how different socioeconomic, you know, things are, you know, scattered across one special uh, geography. Uh, so, so to develop such maps, uh, you know, you've got a lot of uh, geostatistical tools out there, you know, in the market, mm -hmm. things like uh, ArcGIS is probably one of the leading company out there. It's actually built by Esri. Uh, so ArcGIS is a product that is uh, that belongs to Esri. And that actually helps to build things like poverty maps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there are another, uh, you know, uh, sophisticated methodologies to build something of that uh, of that kind, things like uh, deep learning, right? Uh, making use of convolution neural networks. Uh, try to be as precise as possible without any human intervention and making things automated as long as you have enough data to train all these deep learning models for mm -hmm. them to understand what, you know, what is the objective and making the wiser decision based on the, you know, historical data that they have seen, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they, they can actually be utilized to make such maps. Um, so yeah, so I mean, uh, there are like many different ways to go about it. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you know what your objective is in data science or in uh, GIS per se, uh, mm -hmm. I think based on that, you can actually make better decisions as to if you want to take the tool side or if you're like, uh, you know, being ambitious and more, uh, you know, fancy about developing some models to, uh, you know, to build something of that similar nature. Yeah, so the way I understood is more more like, you know, if you are clear on your obje objective, what you're trying to solve, Definitely, that gives you the proper approach to uh, absolutely. Entire, yeah. So, thank you so much. I uh, hope that uh, you know answers the audience question. Next question is: What is the difference between? Uh, how would you like to differentiate between actually geostatical analysis and geospatial analysis? Okay. So uh, geostatistical analysis is just a form of statistics that you uh, perform over geospatial data. Uh, they're like uh, many different things that you can actually perform, uh, things like interpolation. So if you have a, a, you know, a geographical data set, uh, for example, if you have GPS coordinates, uh, you know, location history or trajectory history of any person, and you see there are like, you know, a couple of points missing, you can actually use geostatistics in order to, you know, interpolate those missing values. Uh, so long story short, any, any kind of statistical statistics that you do over geospatial data, uh, mm -hmm. there is a class of statistics, it's called geostatistics. And within that class, you have a number of different algorithms and methods to go about solving whatever kind of problem is which is coming in front of you, which is based on the geospatial uh, data. Now, if you talk about the geospatial analysis, um, that essentially is the analysis of the spatial data, right, which is... Um, which is put uh, over, you know, different layers, uh, you know, of X and Y coordinates. Uh, now, if you go about the concepts of different layers, uh, you know, and if you get into uh, ArcGIS and learning more about geospatial, you will understand that, you know, a map is not just, you know, a plain uh, two-dimensional, you know, figure. It's actually is a two-dimensional figure, but on top of that, there are several different layers that go on top of them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there, there might be a layer that just shows the uh, water bodies across one geography. There's another la layer that actually shows, uh, you know, uh, roads, you know, on a specific geography. Mm -hmm. So, and th there might be another layer that is just showing you the points, you know, points like your house, my house, or a, spe a specific, uh, you know, um, shop that you are wanting to go. So those are the different kind of data types that go over a special map, you know, in form of layers. And uh, these these data points are called as geospatial data types, right? And they are basically of three uh, basic natures. 
uh, points, lines, and polygons. So these are the th three different data types, which you may not see in any other type of, uh, you know, domain, uh, you know, and that is only seen in geospatial domain. So yeah, I mean, just uh, geostatistics can actually be used to analyze the geospatial data. And that's how you can differentiate. So definitely it is the area of specialization, right? Uh, it's like a very specific domain. Um, yeah, I mean, my PhD was related to, uh, you know, machine learning uh, over geospatial uh, data, uh, over spatial databases. Uh, there were there were a couple of different use cases that we figured out that can actually be solved uh, with the mixture of these two uh, pieces, which is GIS and machine learning. And uh, we made some good use of all those technologies back in the days. And uh, yeah, so that was all my PhD about. GIS ARC is there, right? ArcGIS. Like I just remembered that actually, because in my academics, I remember that one of the group had that project on the geospatial analytics. So right. yeah, so yeah, so that is something quite interesting to learn as well, actually, if uh, students out there are looking for doing into anything specific in a specific domain. Absolutely. So, uh, the next question is, what are some of common challenges and their solutions when designing or implementing geodatabase? Okay. So, um, geodatabase is also known as spatial database, right? Um, these are the databases which are um, which are exclusively made just to hold spatial data. Uh, like I just talked about a couple of seconds ago, uh, the different kind of data types that you see in spatial data are points, lines, and polygons. Hence, these different databases are actually um, optimized and, and engineered to hold such data. Now, um, with such database, uh, like you said, there are like a lot of challenges, uh, right? One of, the, one, of the, one of the challenges that I still remember uh, during my PhD and master's was uh, the indexing, you know, of such databases. Uh, now, if you look into any traditional state-of-the-art database, right, um, you will you will you will see a lot of indexing like B trees, B plus trees, right. So those are the kind of traditional indexing which are still used in a lot of databases to hold data because <clears throat> the data sitting in those traditional databases are kind of you know integers, numbers, or strings, right, or characters. Here, story changes just a little bit where now we have vector, uh, like the data is spread across a vector space, right? So we have, uh, you know, um, strings of latitudes and longitudes mm -hmm. that are representing all these different data types. Uh, if it is a polygon, you know, the start is also going to be the end of the same, you know, uh, or of the same geometry. Mm -hmm. Hence, uh, you know, for every point that we have for that polygon, we will have a pair of X and Y coordinates, right? And as you increase the complexity of such data, by that I mean, if you try to get more uh, heavy or richer data set, you will have, you know, more and heavy and richer, you know, sets of those coordinates. And now the challenge is how to store them first. Mm -hmm. And the second is how to access them, right? Because, for example, if you are using Google Maps, there are like billions of other users using Google Maps at the same time. And if you have to look for a specific uh, location within your city, you know, mm -hmm. that location needs to be accessed using some sort of indexing methodology. And it needs to be in the real time because, it's a service that everybody is using every time. So uh, basic indexing methodologies like R trees, R plus trees, R star trees, you know, those are the different variants of uh, B plus and B trees, 
but a variant which is used in just spatial domain, right? And um, now within that, you also have other challenges like query optimization, right? Um, so for example, if you want to look into the nearest neighbor queries, right? So you want to look into, uh, you know, restaurants near me, the most you know common query on Google, right? So it actually looks for the nearest neighbor around your location, right? And in order to do so, it has to go through a bunch of queries, right? And those bunch of queries just adds to the complexity, you know, of uh, complexity in the nature of uh, execution. So uh, indexing uh, is definitely one of those big challenges because they're like, there's like a lot of research still going on in terms of what query uh, suits best for what indexing. So for example, if you just have one indexing, that does not mean that it's gonna cater all your needs. Um, there might be some queries that may get executed really fast using arteries, but there might be some other types of queries which are not meant for arteries, but they require some other special indexing, right? So uh, query execution time, query optimization, comparison techniques between different indexing and seeing which indexing works best for which query itself mm -hmm. is a big challenge. And that was a part of my master's thesis as well. Wow. So, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just have a curiosity, like are there any specific algorithms that you always use for these particular cases? Oh, uh, well, uh, like I said, indexing is, um, is, 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 a, you know, is, a, <clears throat> is a task by itself. So uh, you are never sure that if you just have one algorithm, let's say if you have okay. one indexing methodology, you're never sure that this indexing is gonna cater or is okay. just gonna support all, all types of queries with same performance. Uh, then you have to realize that what are you going to use the system for, right? Is it just going to be for a specific use case or is this just going to be a generalized use case, mm -hmm. right? Uh, depending on what your use case is, you're going to look into uh, the right type of indexing. And this is just one part of the entire <clears throat> problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. And there are like many other different things attached to it, but indexing definitely plays the most important role here. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you so much. Uh, definitely that is insightful for the students as well who ever asked the questions. Moving towards our next segment is a fun segment where I will give you three words and you have to come tell me like you know whatever comes to your mind. It can be like a short definition or like a keyword replacement keyword okay. for that particular thing. Are you ready? Sure. Yeah. So the first word is academic research. Mm, definitely publications. Wow. Uh, definitely publications and conferences and you know as much as you can contribute back to the society right uh, the same society where you you know um, took some help right uh -huh. now it's time for you to actually provide it back to the society by doing some sort of novel research uh -huh. and uh, you know anything that can actually be helpful for the community uh, per se uh, that definitely is is one thing that comes to my mind okay that's great uh, second word is machine learning Love, or life. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, that is that is something that I have dedicated my rest of the life to. Okay, that's great, and that is a lot more popular as well. And then third word is data engineering. Um, challenging. Um, uh, I I truly truly have a deep respect for all the data engineers there. Uh, one of the big reasons is um, data engineer, uh, if you look at the Venn uh, diagram, right, and if you just have uh, two circles, uh, one is software engineering and one is machine learning, mm -hmm. that sweet spot 
right, is where data engineering is actually sitting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's another Venn diagram that you can actually make about the domain knowledge, but again, uh, it may not be as much important as for uh, data scientists, but definitely software engineering and machine learning is the combination of data engineers. Mm -hmm. And the biggest challenge is, is uh, we expect them to definitely be really good with software engineering, but also we have this expectation of them uh, being educated about machine learning, you know, not mm -hmm. so much, but enough for them to understand that what's going on in the data science field. So definitely a huge respect for data engineers and it definitely is a challenging role. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely, I can also agree on that point because I did one academic project actually. And yeah. I remember the struggles that we had uh, to create Absolutely. the pipeline yeah. and get a streamline. So definitely that is a challenging. So yeah. uh, thank you so much. And moving towards our next section is about exploring your career, work and volunteering. So the first question under that segment is, through your experience being a data scientist, how do you see importance of a domain and how difficult or challenging it is to learn a new domain considering your technical expertise? So um, whenever we talk about domain knowledge, right, uh, by the definition of it, it really is the understanding of the of the environment where the data is actually getting processed and is getting access, right? Um, so for example, at my job, um, you know, we, we, we work on different domains every time, right? And whenever we are about to start a project, the most important thing, at least for me and my team, is to really understand and deep dive into the domain knowledge of the project itself. Uh, because what I personally think is your half battle is already won. Like you've already won, won your half battle if you really know uh, what the domain is all about. By that, I mean, if you really know what you're, what you're going to uh, do with this data, right? Uh -huh. uh, that leads to a lot of good things. Uh, one of the things that I have personally seen uh, people having good domain knowledge happens to make better accurate models. Uh -huh. uh, because the kind of, um, you know, knowledge that they have about all the different features given in the data set is just great because sometimes you may not have data dictionary available to you, right? Uh -huh. And uh, most of the times it, it really, the project really re relies on somebody who really has good insight about the entire domain. Uh -huh. So uh, by, by making good models, I mean, they might, they may have, you know, a, um, an edge over how to engineer these features better, right? So you may have a list of, you know, 100 features, uh, 100 sparse features, right? But uh, you still cannot make use of them because it's sparse in nature. It's, uh, you know, heavy in terms of processing. Mm -hmm. But a person who really understands the domain can actually engineer those features into, just, you know, small sets of, say, five to 10 features that are most important and really reflects what those 100 sparse features couldn't reflect. And the other thing is um, you really can actually harness the power of algorithms if uh, you really understand the domain well. Um, by that, I mean, um, there were cases when uh, we were just in confusion as to what kind of algorithms or what kind of even solution part should we be taking uh, to solve this kind of problem. And then later on, we realized that we did not need any model per se, right? All we needed was to plot the entire distribution over two dimension and see if the distribution is following a similar pattern over the period of time, right? Uh, we understood it better because there were people, you know, uh, smart people in our team that actually helped us to understand the domain better, right? Uh, just by looking at the distribution, we did not even have to make models. Instead, we could just have predicted because the distribution was very much stable. It had a good stationary, uh, station, uh, uh, the seasonality attached to that. And the trend was pretty much stable over the period of time. Mm -hmm. So 
definitely we did not have to waste uh, resources in terms of you know working over the models because the data was there we had the good domain knowledge in our in our in our back pockets and we just made use of the raw data and the knowledge that we acquired over the period of time yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you and the next question is would you like to share more uh, any interesting case study or the research use case from your experience with the audience um so one of the case studies that I was a part of, actually was also a part of my PhD, um, was about uh, GPS trajectory forecasting. Um, this is still a very interesting use case to me because uh, I don't see a lot of work done in, from that side um, where you have a set of uh, you know historical uh, GPS coordinates uh, associated with a person's living style. And uh, ultimately, you're trying to trying to build a model to see what kind of patterns and behaviors does this user follow in his day to day lives, mm -hmm. and uh, if if there is a way where we can actually forecast where this uh, user is going to be next in his future, such that we can uh, make use of that knowledge in terms of recommending him better products uh, based on wherever he is located at the moment, uh, helping him to get over uh, you know severe calamities that were unknown before, but we now can forecast where this user is gonna be in next uh, future, we can actually make better decisions in terms of, I don't know, medical uh, insurance and uh, recommendation in terms of retails right. or just giving coupons or advertising your stuff, you know, as the person is going through his trajectory, right? So there you have machine learning in place, there you have spatial data in place, there you have domain knowledge mm -hmm. about that special geography in place. And then uh, there you have just interesting insights about a person's uh, you know, trajectory or the way the person travels in his day-to-day -day life. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, moving towards our next section is about the tips and advice. You can support your answer with the specific books or the courses to the audience. So any tips or advice would you like to give to the students or the professionals who wants to pursue their passion in this specific field or looking this field as their long-term career option? Right. So uh, the way I look at it is <clears throat> I would always advise anybody getting in in data science or is already a data scientist to try to think of data science. And again, this is just my point of view. Again, it may be subjective. Uh, but the way I look at it is I look at it as a T-shaped model, right, where the, the horizontal bar represents your knowledge about most of the things in data science, right? So you are well versed in most of the things, but mm -hmm. you tend to go a rabbit hole in just one piece of that entire stretch, right? So what I mean by that is you, you have traditional machine learning and predictive analytics in data science, you have natural language processing, you have uh, time series, you have computer vision, you have whatnot, right? You have OCR, you have RPA, or you have automation, so many things. Uh, again, um, I do not ex expect anybody to be amazing in all those different domains, uh, right? Uh, because I truly believe that one should always, you know, channelize his or her energy towards one thing uh, while maintaining, you know, decently uh, acquired knowledge across the entire board. So for me, that rabbit hole, again, I'm not very deep in that. I'm still trying to, you know, uh, make my way around it. 
but uh, my rabbit hole is time series. So um, I love time series for a lot of reasons and that just kept me going on and learning more about it. So I would say that it's always a great practice to start with the traditional state of the art machine learning, what data science is all about, having a good knowledge about, you know, supervised, unsupervised reinforcement learning, um, just so that you know what it is. And then uh, gradually over the period of time, just try to find your interest that you're most interested in. It may, be ju- it may just be EDA, right? Because yeah. that itself is a, is a very important part of uh, data science. It's the starting of a great project. So it may, it may be EDA, right? For somebody else, it may be, you know, traditional uh, predictive methodologies within data science ROM, or it could be somebody uh, like me who wanted to go in just time series while maintaining his knowledge over across uh, different domains, or it could be somebody else, um, you know, who loves to work in NLP and his expert or his or her expertise and specialty is in NLP. Okay. So, I would always suggest that um, begin with the basic knowledge and try to advance it, you know, uh, by taking one uh, domain and trying to be, an, I think, an expert in that field. Yeah, yeah. I think that is definitely something that our students need to learn while learning because it is more or like exploration of uh, data science field. It is very vast and very big and it is, as you mentioned already, it is evolving. So <laughs> this is definitely is useful advice anybody to have. Moving towards our next section is ending segment of this particular show, which is leadership. So you are truly leading your area of interest and what is your leadership style and any specific leader that you always follow or admire and why? Sure. Um, The way I look at it is um, I always suggest and uh, talk to my juniors in terms of how to organize different works that they have been doing. One of the things uh, that we all tend to do well is not organizing a notebooks, uh, you know, and they're like a lot of jokes uh-huh. and memes around such things, right? Uh, so you try to make a notebook that's untitled, another notebook, untitled underscore two, uh, another one, untitled final, whatever. So what I'm uh, trying to get to is it's, it's really a good practice to have an organized way of, you know, uh, performing whatever uh, things that you're performing. And as a leader, I always suggest this point, but I also give the autonomy to my juniors, uh, right? Because now now is the stage when, you know, you cannot be micromanaging, right? And uh, I personally don't like that, right? And I I personally believe that people do fly with bright colors once you give them some sort of independence and Uh certain level of autonomy, right? And they just do wonders, right? Uh, Wonders that you cannot even, you know, imagine of. So I think um, having those two things in place, uh, like the autonomy is really, really important for me. Uh And when we talk about uh, role models in terms of uh, leadership, um, for me, role models in leadership are people with whom I've worked closely. And uh, one of the guys that really stands out is, um, his name is Michael. Uh, He's actually my tech lead. So so I really look up uh, to him, right? And look at his style of leading, you know, an entire team. And I think uh, he has a similar work style that I love to do. And uh, he, he's really great when he, whenever it comes to giving the autonomy to his juniors and letting the juniors decide what solution okay. does this project requires and how we even going to begin with, uh, you know, uh, analyzing this set of data. So having that thing in place actually just give people a lot of independence and uh, pleasure to work. Yeah, 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 and this is like a very, really, very good uh, like leadership style to have, providing that independence as well as giving them the freedom to learn and explore by themselves first. And if they need any help, it is like showing that, <laughs> like you know, uh, doing it rather than just uh, commenting or you know, 
because sometimes people don't take the feedbacks for positively so it's more mm-hmm. like showing it from your work definitely helps mm-hmm. them as you mentioned right you always follow your leader whichever you are looking to so it is always like that way it happens automatically when that leader inspires you some on other way and you automatically start following and see yourself as that kind of a leader so thank you so much for sharing and uh, the way i understood you actually uh, i'm going to end it with a quote which is like an investment in knowledge pays the best interest the quote by benjamin franklin and on that quote we are going to end this show and hope audience you are going to enjoy it as i always say until we meet happy leading let's live together stay safe bye for now thanks for sharing